morning's message is called 911. 911. Now, why do you dial 911? Because there's an emergency, right? All, all you, uh, I know we got a lot of law enforcement and, and uh, emergency responders that attend TWBC, and you guys are the awesome, amazing men and women of God who respond when somebody dials 911. And we're so grateful for you guys. But as we turn this into a spiritual aspect, how many times as a believer is God just your 911? How many times as a, as a believer is God just your 911? You don't like the police department any other time until you need 911. You don't really want to be a Christian any other time until you need God and he's your 911. The title of this morning's message is 911 as we're in an encounter series. Luke chapter 9 verse 28, when you're there, say I'm there. Say I'm ready. Say let's do this. Man, I'm excited this morning. Can you tell? It is good to be in God's house today. Verse number 28. About eight days after these sayings took place, he was with Peter, John, and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, everybody say fully awake. See, it's possible to be in the presence of God, have a movement of God taking place, and you still sleep all the way through it. It's possible to see God do something amazing in the life of a person sitting right next to you, transform their life, and, and, and it's very possible for you to see it and miss it altogether, or to see it happen and you not get touched or affected by it. So I want to encourage the body of Christ that God is already moving all over this place, all over this sanctuary, and if you're not getting something, I want you to reach up and grab it. Amen? I want you to reach out and take hold of it. So when they became fully awake, he saw the, and they saw the glory of God and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now I need everybody to grab really hold to this morning of the cloud. And the term the cloud because we're going to talk about that in this morning's message quite a bit and a voice came out um, and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one listen to him and when the voice had spoken Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything of that they had seen and so jump over to John chapter number nine this morning I'm getting a lot of feedback here John chapter number 9 this morning in verse number 5, kicking off in, I'm sorry, John chapter number 5 in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Now this term here is talking more than just seeing and witnessing like I'm looking at you physically. Jesus actually would see his heavenly father and what the father's doing, and he would reflect what the father is doing here in the earth. And some of you are saying this morning, wow, that was great for Jesus. But if you call yourself a person who is a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus or somebody who is a, even the term Christian, that obligates us to be a follower and even do the very things that Jesus did. See the very things that Jesus saw and reflect who the Father is in heaven here in the earth. 
So Jesus said, I can only do what I see my father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And so as we jump into this morning's message, I want to clarify as we're going through this encounter series, what are we even doing this encounter series for? It's a twofold purpose. Number one, we want you to start having encounters with the father on a regular basis. We want you to start experiencing him in a way that you've never experienced him before. There's more to it than what you've been experiencing, I promise. And even when you get to the next level of your spiritual walk, there's going to be more to it than what you are experienced. Paul said this, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. And if Paul is saying that as far advanced spiritually as Paul was, who was caught up into the third heaven, how, how do you know that, that if he said that where he was at, he knows in part and prophesies in part. There's a lot more for us to get to know and to prophesy and to do and to see. Right. So I'm encouraging you to to press the envelope a little bit. And what I mean by pressing the envelope a little bit is push out of your way those things that normally you would say are normal for you. I want you to get very comfortable with being uncomfortable is what I'm saying. That was the nice way of saying push out the norms. All right. I want you to get very comfortable with being uncomfortable. The first rule of leadership is this. Get very comfortable with being uncomfortable, because if you're if you find yourself in a place of comfort, you're not leading and you're not expanding. If you find yourself in a place of comfort as a believer, you're probably not walking much by faith and you're not expanding. So get very comfortable being uncomfortable in what you're doing. And so we want you to encounter God in ways like never before. The other reason we're doing it this is because as we launch into the new facilities that God is having us build, we wanted to clarify where we're going and what we're doing. Our goals are this. By the time this year is done, we wanted to raise $165,000 to have all construction documents paid for in full. We want to break ground in September of next year and have the first third of the cost in the bank. And by the time the facility is complete, we want to have it completely paid for moving forward. Amen. So we stay debt free as a church. Amen. Are you with me on that? Come on. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about we're stretching our faith. I mean, y'all are saying, go, you go, pastor. I don't want to go alone. <laughs> you lead it, pastor. No, I want to look to the left and to the right and know that you're right here with me doing this together. That you're not saying, pastor, you lead and I'm going to follow back, but it's going to be way back. You know what I'm saying? I want you to be with me and us to do this together so we can have the encounter of God together in what he's calling us to do. The whole purpose we're doing this whole new facility is so people have an encounter with God. Our first core value as a church is this. It's authentic relationships. By creating an an environment for divine connection, we develop quality relationships and experience life in Christ together. So this new facility is not going to be an idol or a holy shrine. It's simply a tool. It's not an idol. It's not a holy shrine. It's going to be a tool that's used for the kingdom of God. It's going to be a place where believers come in and get equipped. So we send them out to impact the kingdom of God. We're called to be kingdom expanders, not kingdom squatters. We're called to come in and get equipped and go out and do. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4.11, that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints, everybody in here, to go do the work of the ministry. So if five years from now, we still find ourselves as Pastor Jeff, Pastor Mitch, Pastor Hunter, Pastor Corey, Pastor David, all doing all the work, we're not being biblical as a church. I'm telling you, this is the next stage of growth in TWBC. This is the next stage of stepping forward as TWBC. For the past 18 years, the pastors and, and, and servant leadership has done all the work. But now we're at this point as a church where we got to make a dynamic shift in the way we do things. The job of the leadership of the church is now to equip the saints to go do the work of the ministry. That means you get to lay your hands on people. 
That means you get to watch blind eyes open. That means you get to pray and intercede for somebody and then say, God immediately delivered me from whatever was stressing me or distressing me. That means you get to be the ones that get to accomplish and do the great and mighty work of the kingdom of God. And it's the, it's the staff's job to do this. It's the elder's job to do this. If it's a, if it's a triangle, you need to flip it upside down. And, and the pastor, elders, and staff are at the very bottom holding up the church to expand and go do the kingdom. We do not live in a corporate setting where it's bottom up. We live in a pyramid that's been flipped upside down where we hold up and embrace the people in the congregation, the saints, to go do the work of the ministry and accomplish the kingdom of God. We're called to be a kingdom-expanding team, a kingdom-expanding ministry. And finally, this is not a Christian retirement home or a country club. It's not about your personal space. It's about making a place for everyone. It's not about somebody's personal space. It's not about your comfort. Remember I said get real comfortable being uncomfortable. Amen. Come on. Y'all liked it up until I said you couldn't have your own chair, right? It's not an idol. It's not a holy shrine. It's a tool to be used for the kingdom of God, and that's it. So therefore, the building will not ever be above the people. The people are the reason we're doing this. And God did this all throughout the Bible. God did this in many different ways. And so some of the ways he did this, the first message we talked about, he created the earth and the Garden of Eden as a place to come and commune with his people. Last week we talked about he created the tabernacle. The word tabernacle means dwelling. He created a dwelling place in the wilderness to come and meet with his people. This morning we're going to talk about the temple that God created in the Old Testament. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter number 2, as you're turning there, 2 Chronicles chapter number 2, and if you're new to us this morning, yes, we always use a bunch of scripture in our messages. If you're in the house today, I want you to get very comfortable with the Word of God and us always using a lot of Scripture. The Scripture is the foundation for your encounter. It's not the be-all, end-all of your encounter. It's the foundation for your encounter. So if you don't know the foundation or where the foundation's at or how big the foundation is, your encounter is not going to be very profound. And your encounter that you could have, if it's not on the right foundation, could be a not-good encounter. And we want to make sure you're having encounters that glorify the kingdom of God. And so 2 Chronicles chapter number 2, verse number 1, and it says this. It says, now Solomon purposed to build a temple for the name of the Lord. Now Solomon purposed to build a temple for the name of the Lord. And in this morning, just for a second, I want to talk about forced faith versus purposed faith. Forced faith versus purposed faith. When is the last time you purposed in your heart to do something? I'm talking you made a heart decision. You made a God decision. You made a decision based on the word of God and the foundation of God that's being planted into your life. You made a decision in your life. I'm purposing in my heart to do this. I love what my mom's testimony is that she's our freedom ministries pastor now and she said eight years ago she had the choice she could have started doing what she always did with with her life and she could have went one direction but she purposed in her heart to go back to school to become a biblically certified counselor to go get her associate's degree in theology she purposed in her heart to go back to school and ten years later she has found a place on as a full-time staff member in a ministry being a pastor of a church a pastor in the church come on now because she purposed in her heart, listen, 10 years from now, you're going to be somewhere. And you can either be who you are today or you can be who your heart has called you to be. And listen, the person 10 years from now will thank you if you'll purpose in your heart today to do something. 
<laughs> I'm going to say that again. The person 10 years from now will look back and thank you and say thank you for purposing in your heart to do something because 10 years down the line, you have no clue who you're going to touch, reach, encounter, and bring to the kingdom of God the, with the purposes you make in your heart today. Now listen, listen to this. This is not a January 1st New Year's resentment clause. I would say resolution, but you don't resolve to do, we don't resolve to do very much. We last till about February. No, we don't make it to February, <laughs> right? It's not a January 1st resentment clause that three months in the year, I hate my life. I never can follow through with any. I'm just so mad. I'm done with all this stuff. No, you purpose in your heart to do something. When you purpose in your heart to do something, you got to realize you can't do it on your own. It's going to take the almighty power of God to make it happen. It's going to take the equipping and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that he's given you as a gift in your life to drive you in those hours when it's the darkest to keep you pressing forward, when you're ready to quit, when you're about to drop out of school, about to get your doctorate degree. This is Joel's story. When you're about to drop out, it'll be the empowering of God right before you drop out that says, I ain't brought you this far to leave you there. You're pressing on. You purposed in your heart to do something. And I'm not going to let you quit just because you feel like quitting. Come on now. There was that day I called my wife and I said, baby, I think I'm done with school. We're about to have a second kid. I just can't do it anymore. And she said, Joel, I don't think you need to quit. We'll figure out how to make a way through it. And I said, but baby, you don't understand. <laughs> and she said, just call the school and see, see, see where you're at with everything. I called the school. See, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit and my wife are very similar at times. <laughs> right? I called the school and they said, why are you about to quit? When you finish this semester, all your coursework is done and then you have two years to write your thesis. And she said, if you don't get it done in two years, you can file a year extension. <laughs> I took the year extension, amen, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the thing I'm telling you is I purposed in my heart to not quit. When is the last time you purposed in your heart to do something and you relied on the strength and the power of God to make it happen? Not your own strength. See, a lot of people say, how are you going to do this, for new, this new facility thing? In the strength of Almighty God, not in mine. In the power of Almighty God, not in mine. In the abundance of His, His riches, not in ours. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to accomplish it. We're purposing in our heart to do something. But listen on this. When is the last time you purposed in your heart to do something? Many of us live in forced or crisis faith. We do not stand in faith or go before God until the crisis hits. We live in forced faith faith or crisis faith and it's not until the marriage is about to end that you call on God and say oh God I can't do it anymore he says no you couldn't do it all along and you're the where you're at because you tried to do it and you didn't let me do it in my power and my strength and as we come into 911 faith this morning a lot of us have 911 faith and you call on God and God says what's your emergency because that's the only time he hears your voice What's your emergency when he calls on you? That's what he has to answer. Because a lot of us don't call upon him until we have the emergency. I remember back when I was in high school, and I know that's a long time ago, Rage students. I was in high school. And I remember I would walk in and I did not study for tests. <laughs> but every time I sat down, I was like, oh Lord God, if you'll get me through the test, I promise next time. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about? No, y'all are good kids. They, we got geniuses, we got smart students, we got disciplined students. Amen. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Or when you remember when you first started driving, Rachel, you remember when you first started driving, some of you, and you got pulled over for the first time? <laughs> Notice I said I got pulled over for the first time because <laughs> there have been several other encounters after that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I got pulled over for the first time. It's like, oh, Lord God, please don't let me get a ticket. 
Now you get pulled over, it's like, gosh, dog it. Here it goes again, right? Now it's not even a shock factor anymore. It's not even the 911 call anymore, right? And, and all you adults out there, you notice I'm keeping it G-rated on purpose? Because some of y'all have made decisions a lot worse than not studying for a test and, and, and getting pulled over and getting a speeding ticket that you woke up the next day and says, oh God, if you just get me through this and not let so-and-so find out, not let my boss find out, not let my spouse find out, not let this person find out, I promise I'll never, ever do it again. God, if you'll just... See, the church loves 911 faith. We love the what's your emergency type answer. And honestly, the best thing that could happen is God not pick up the phone sometimes. But because he loves you, because he gave his son for you, because the blood of Jesus has covered you, God has come into covenant with you. And he said, wherever you need me, that's where I'm going to be. But the problem is we live in a forced faith, a crisis faith, a faith, a 911 faith that we never get to where God has called us to be. Listen, if we always say, God, if you just get me out of this, listen to this. Living in forced faith will only get you rescued results. Amen. Some of y'all need to take a picture of that. Living in forced faith will only get you rescued results. And the problem with our Christianity today is many people love just the rescued results. We really don't want the presence of God that will change our life so we don't have to make him a 911 God. He can be the real God, the God of the presence, the God of the face-to-face -face, where you never leave him, where you don't have to call on him just in an emergency, but you get to be with him all the time. And we got to get past this 911 faith because we've been in a church age that our forced faith has only gotten the church rescued results and we look like a bride that Jesus it's coming back for that he's on a rescue mission for and he didn't say that Amen. he said I'm coming back for a bride without spot without wrinkle and without blemish that means the church is not a 911 faith type of church anymore we are the church that abides in the presence of God yeah. and and how do you say this I want to say it accurately he is not a Jesus who is coming back for a bride that has stayed out all night partying and wakes up with sleepy in their eye on the wedding day, shows up late for a wedding that we really don't want to be a part of, and never have the intimacy that we were designed to have. Is that too strong? Is that? So he's not coming back for that type of bride. He's coming back for a bride that adores him, that loves him. Do you remember when you first fell in love? Or the second time you fell in love, or whatever time you're on. Do you remember? There was intimacy, there was desire, there was passion. You wanted to be there. Some of you in your marriage, you need to fall back in love. Because you're happier when you don't wake up together than when you do. Jesus is so hungry and passionate for the church. He is ready to come back and take his bride home and to bring us there. But he's saying, I need a bride that's ready and adorned and is hungering for me as much as I'm hungering for her. And if I don't get to the second half of my message, I'm okay with that today. Because I don't want us to be a TWBC group of believers that says, oh, we want encounters with God, but we only want them when we call 911. And we live in forced faith. And we have issues and we have struggles that we're going through. And now I'm going to ask them to, to, to put the picture back up on the screen that we've placed up there the past two weeks. Listen, 
Living in forced faith only gets you rescued results. Once we get out of our problem, we go back to our old way of living. We get out of our problem when we go back to our old lifestyle of living. Have you ever noticed that when you got pulled over for your first speeding ticket about three weeks later, how fast were you going? Right? Everybody says, oh, I'm so glad they created cruise control. Why? So you can set it five miles faster than the speed limit. Hey, come on now. Y'all are like, oh, Jesus, I just, that, that is not me. That is to all of us. <laughs> okay, I said it's seven miles an hour faster, but I mean, I got places to go. I'm working on that road to Emmaus thing, you know, where he was there and then he was immediately, you know, I'm working on that. Until then, the Jeep's got to get going. Come on, sister. Thank you. Come on, sister. I got some. She gets, she gets uh, church member of the year award. I'm just saying right there. Let me put this picture up here. Forced faith only gets you rescued results. Listen, we talked about you enter his gates with thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. You get to the place of sacrifice. Now listen, this is the cool thing about the brazen altar. that there, It's the square right there by sacrifice. Number two, on the four corners of this altar, there were horns that were put on the altar. One on each corner. And on every corner there was a horn. And the, 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 the high priest would sprinkle, sprinkle blood on the horn. And it was for the, for, the, for the sins of the people to be forgiven. Now, here's the cool thing about this. The horns of the altar. There is a place in the Bible that it says, Exodus 21, 14, says that the horns on the altar are a place of refuge. The horns on the altar are a place of refuge. And literally, if somebody was in trouble, which means back in the Old Testament, it was still eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you kill me, I can kill you, right? It was still all those things. And so if somebody was in trouble, they could literally run through the entry place of the outer courts and come to the brazen altar and grab onto those horns and it would literally be sanctuary, a safe place, until he would have his time to be able to tell his part of the story. Now listen to this. In Exodus 21, 14, it says the horns are an altar or refuge. Now listen, you got two different examples here. In 1 Kings 1, verse 50, Adonijah was caught in sin and fled to the horns of the altar for refuge from the judgment of King Solomon. Solomon showed him mercy and gave him a chance to prove himself. Now in 1 Kings 2, 28 through 33, Joab rebelled and fled to the horns of the altar and received no mercy and he was killed at the spot. So you got two examples of people running to the altar, the place of sanctuary in 911. One of them was rescued, one of them wasn't, but we also remember as we come to that number two there, that also is a representation of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's where the sins of man were killed and forgiven and it's, a, it's the same thing that happened with Jesus. How does it relate to the cross? Remember on the cross of Calvary, there was a sinner on each side of him. One, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You can run to the cross, keep coming to the cross, spend as much time you need to as the cross, but Jesus isn't on the cross. He's in the presence of the holy place with the Father seated at the right hand of him. He wants you to come to the cross. He needs to be there. He needs you to be at the cross. He wants to be your 911, but if the only thing we ever do as a believer is stay in 911, we're never fully entering the presence of God and seeing him move in power for the encounter that he wants to give us. So my question to you this morning as the church is, is your faith 911 faith and living with forced faith will only get you rescued results or do we have a faith that wants to get us to the presence of God? Forced faith may get you to the altar, 
But purposed faith will get you to the presence. Forced faith will get you to the altar. It'll get you your 911. I'm so glad for the 911 faith that I had on June 22nd, 1988, when I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I was saved and I was born again that day in a Methodist church camp out at Lake Texoma. I can still remember it just as vividly as it just happened yesterday. That's how I know my encounter with God was real. That's how I know my encounter with God is true because I've had a lot of memories take place between now and then. But that one I remember so vivid. He answered my faith, He answered my call. But he didn't say, Joel, I want to stay your 911 Jesus. He said, I want to be Lord of your life. I want to bring you into the presence of my Father. I want to give you the gift that John said about. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I got a gift for you that'll help you walk it out in power and stay in the presence of my Father. But you got to get past this mentality, Joel, of 911 faith. See, forced faith will get you to the altar. Purposed faith will get you to the presence. Remember, Solomon purposed in his heart to do something for God, and that was build the house of the Lord. So purposed faith will get you into the presence of God. And I want you to turn a couple pages over in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. You were in uh, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Now you're in 2 Chronicles 5, 11, and it says, And when the priest came out of the holy place... For all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. Now, man, I can preach on that all day. They consecrated themselves without regards to their division. Ooh. Do I go there? Do I go there? When you consecrate yourself without regards to what's separating us as believers, God can do a mightier movement than, you, than he would ever do if you would just stay in your own divisions. You know, we, we've talked about it at staff a multitude of times over the past two months. How do, we integrate, how do we integrate TWBC kids and rage into the adults and the adults into TWBC rage into TWBC kids because we're tired of the divisions being between the departments. And that's not just the staff members, that's as church as a whole. On Wednesday nights, kids, y'all go there and youth, you go up there and adults, you stay in here, Right? But when we can consecrate ourselves and come together with no divisions, don't let anything separate us, whether it be color, whether it be age, whether it be race, whether it be denominational background, where you came from. See, it doesn't matter where you came from. What matters is where you're going to. Amen. See, some of y'all looked at me weird. I saw it on your face when I said I was born again in a Methodist church camp. You're like, you were Methodist? <laughs> you were Baptist? <laughs> I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how jacked up my, my, my spiritual walk has been. I was born again as a Methodist. I was baptized at First Baptist here in Sulphur Springs under water immersion baptism. I then went to a spirit-filled church where I already had my prayer language before that. And then I was in a spirit-filled church for a while. Then I quit church altogether because I didn't like none of it. And then two years later, God said, start it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> right? So, so I can relate to all you people. I, I guess like the Heinz 57 of, of, of pastors right here. You know, it's just... Make it happen. And see, so you all wonder why you felt so comfortable, because I can relate to you in some way. Because I've been where you've been. And I don't believe that my whole spiritual walk's been a mistake. I believe God is, was working all things together for good. 
because I loved him and I was called according to his purposes. And so when they come together and consecrate themselves without divisions or regard for their divisions and all the Levitical singers and the Asaph and Heman and Judith and the sons of the kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals and harps and lyres stood east of the altar with 120 priests, remember that number, who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison. Remember that word unison. And, and, and praise and give offerings of thanks unto the Lord. And when the, and when the song was raised with the trumpets and the cymbals and the other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good. Everybody say, he is good. He is good. That just has to be the fundamental trademark of your theology. He is good. Even if you're going through a bad time, he's still good. Your current situation does not dictate his character. But his character can change your current situation. So the fundamental uh, building block of your whole theology has to be, he is good. And he's, his best intentions are for me, even though my circumstances may be tough at the moment. For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. The house of the Lord, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Remember in uh, Luke, the cloud came down. It was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister. Come on now. Because the cloud of glory was of the, the cloud of glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now listen, the cloud represents God, and I need you to look at how close this resembles Acts chapter 2 to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit here on the church. How closely it correlates. It says, they set themselves apart with no divisions among them. The New Testament says they were in an upper room in a place together in one accord. It says they were in unison together. Excuse me, they set themselves apart in the upper, and then they put themselves in the upper room. They were offering up worship Remember I said the altar of incense on that picture, the, uh, it's not the, the, it's not the, you got the, the brazen altar, you got the labor, you go into the holy place, you got the, the, the lampstand and you got the table of showbread, but then you have the altar of incense and last week I said it's worship and prayers that go up for, before the Father. Listen to this, they were offering up worship in the upper, upper room, they were offering up prayers. There were 120 ministers in the Old Testament at the temple, there were 120 in the upper room when the cloud of God's glory fell. They were in unison in the Old Testament. They were in one accord in the New Testament. The cloud of glory became so thick that they could not minister in the Old Testament. And here's the best thing about being in the New Testament. The cloud of glory came so thick they were empowered to minister in the New Testament. I, I want to tell you how great the blood of Jesus is right quick. Let me, in, in about three minutes, I'm going to tell you how great the blood of Jesus is. The reason they couldn't minister in the Old Testament was because the supreme sacrifice for sins is the blood of Jesus. So when the cloud of glory came down so thick in the Old Testament, God said, you've got to sit down because you're really not qualified to minister in my presence yet. So I've got to sit you down and I'll do the ministry. In the New Testament, the spotless blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the sacrificial offering that God made of himself to win you back was done and when that was made and the cloud fell in the new testament he said now that the supreme sacrifice and the ultimate cleansing has happened and sin has utterly been destroyed i don't have to minister you get to do what you were born to do and i'm going to empower you to do the ministering in my presence come on now Woo. you wonder why i'm excited this morning i'm telling you God does not want his cloud to come in here so thick that you sit down. He wants his cloud to come in here so thick that you stand up and say, I'm different, I'm changed, I'm going out and changing the world. See, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, follow me on this. Oh, I got to get this in. Cutting a song out of worship set next service, Mitch. I'm just kidding. A lot of people, when we're praying on them, and, you, and some of you are freaked out by it, some of you aren't, but at TWBC, we do believe in the laying on of hands as we pray for people. And there are times when the power of God comes in so thick that people fall over. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, that, that is true and that is biblical. Jesus, when he was about to be carried away to the cross, and they said, are you he? He said, I am he, and all the soldiers fell back as dead men, the Bible says. So if I find the irony of this, Jesus is being arrested. He says, I am he, the cloud of God comes so thick, all the soldiers fall back as dead people. He's like, I guess I'm just gonna wait for him to wake up to arrest me to take me to the cross. <laughs> this is the fulfillment of scripture. He says, no one can take my life. I give it up of my own accord. No one can take it. So they fell back as dead men. Now listen, when we're praying over the people, the power of God can come so thick sometimes that people fall backwards. And usually what we do if we notice it happening, it's usually here on the front, so we just kind of walk with them and we seat them and, and y'all never see what's happening. Because we're not here to freak out the people who are here for the first time. Right. Remember, I was Methodist. If I would have saw that my first day in from a Methodist church, I'd have been like, I'm out, holla. <laughs> right? <laughs> y'all Baptist background people don't be laughing. Don't be laughing. You know the same thing is true. And y'all spirit-filled Pentecostal people back around, you're like, I want them all on the floor. Just lay them down. Right? If you don't go down, we didn't have Jesus in the house today. Right? I don't know where this is from today. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. But I believe that the believers should spend so much time in the presence of God that when his power hits, we don't have to fall over anymore. I'm all for people when we pray for them, if they, if they haven't been in the power of God, for the power of God to come on them so thick where we seat them, where they lay back gently and we, and we, and we make sure that, they're, that, that it happens in a way that's decent and in order and the peace of God stays in the room. But it grieves my heart as a pastor that people who have been in the presence of God or been born again for many years still fall out when the power of God hits and not stand in the power of God. All that proves is how much little time we've spent in the presence of God. All that proves is that we've been to the brazen altar, to the brazen altar, to the labor, to the labor, but we've never entered the holy place. And it grieves my heart that when the cloud of God's glory shows up, that people have not been in the presence of God enough on their personal quiet time and in a daily basis that we fall out still as believers when in the New Testament the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is more than enough for the power of God to come and to hit and in the upper room they all stood up and began to ministry with, minister with tongues of fire on their head to one another then they went out and 3,000 people got born again immediately all hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own native language I'm telling you church there's a day coming and it's here now that we've got to step into encounters with God like never before. And listen, both houses were filled. Both houses were filled. Old Testament and New Testament, both houses were filled. My question for you is, if you're living in 911 faith, you'll get rescued results, but purposed faith gets you into the presence. When you're in the presence, the power and the glory of God comes, and in that moment, will you be able to stand to minister because you've been in his presence? Faith for the presence brings the fire. Listen, the Bible says this. John the Baptist was, was talking, um, and he was telling all the people that there's one coming who is greater than I, and I'm not worthy to do what he does, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Don't be afraid of the fire. Because when you come to the cloud, through the cloud, you'll get to the fire. A lot of people want the fire, but don't want to go through the cloud of his presence. You can't get to the fire until you go through the cloud. That's right. 
You've got to go through the cloud. It's the access way. If you can throw that picture back up there real quick, it's the access way. You enter his gates with thanksgiving. You come by the brazen altar. You enter the labor. But then you come through the cloud of the holy place into where the fire of the holy holies is. Listen to this next scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now I want to show you the timeline of this. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Solomon purposed in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. Solomon in chapter number 5, or 2 Chronicles chapter number 5, um, it says the ministers were dedicating the Ark of the Covenant. That's when the cloud fell that I was just talking about. But now listen to what happens with the congregation. Because the ministers are doing what they're called to do. Look what happens with the congregation. In 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 13, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven. That just... Come on. Some of you are like, oh, here comes the fire. <laughs> yeah, here comes the fire. He didn't, he didn't get you born again to keep you normal. <laughs> he got you born again so you could stand in the fire of God and operate with the fire of God. It would just be just like saying this today. He got you born again so you could walk with firepower. A police officer wouldn't go out without firepower. A believer shouldn't go out without Firepower. Amen. Just think of it like that. If those terms freak you out, think of it in a positive way that, that you know is right. But listen, if those things freak you out as a believer, we need to get in his presence more. And it says, as soon as Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. See, when we worship and we give him offerings of praises and sacrifice and we worship in prayer, the fire of God should come and consume it if we've come in through the cloud. See, you come in, you enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise and worship. Then you come and you come to the cross and you say, Jesus, I'm grateful for what you did, but you're not there, so I'm not staying here either. You come to the labor and you remember your baptism, but then you come into the presence or the holy place where you offer up an offering of worship and praise and prayers to the Father. And it says this, it says, as soon as he finished praying, the fire came down and consumed the offering. As soon as we come in and start offering up prayers and praises and worship to him, the fire of God should begin to come down and consume the place if you've come into the cloud and it says and the glory of the Lord filled the temple again some of y'all need to realize it happens again and again and again and again and again and again every day I wake up father God I want a fresh baptism today again I know a lot of believers don't want to have their other one so I'll take their leftovers amen Jesus right and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Now listen, we're in the new covenant now. What does that mean? It means the glory should come in the same power, but because of the blood of Jesus, we can walk into it with him. See, these ministers in the old covenant, everybody said, oh, I wish we could have that experience. Why are you wishing for what he's already paid for you to have? That's like saying, oh, I wish I could ride the Titan when you got the Six Flags tickets in your hand. Give them the ticket and get on the ride, baby. Just go to it. And, it says, and, and so believers today, we're believing for Old Testament encounters when God says, I got the same glory, the same cloud, and it's here. I, and you've already got the ticket that's been paid for to walk into my glory and my presence. The truth is we really don't want the glory in the presence as much as we say we want the glory in the presence. Because in the glory in the presence, you've got to change. Get real comfortable with being uncomfortable. And the glory and the presence of God, you got to change. There's not one time I've ever truly encountered his presence that I haven't come out different. 
Isaiah encountered his presence and said, here I am, send me, send me as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah encountered his presence and the Lord spoke to him and gave him direction for his whole life. Elijah encountered the presence and people always got raised again from the dead. Elisha encountered the presence and got a double anointing of what Elijah did, so much so that when dead people were thrown in on his bones, they came back to life because of the anointing that was in his bones. Ooh, man, I could go all day, but I can't. I gotta go. We got second service coming up. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of God uh, rest on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground. You know, the only, the, the only way worship has never been described in the Bible is this, and the, the prayer has never been described in the Bible like this either. We always say, hey, bow your heads and close your eyes, fold your hands. That's never been in the Bible anywhere. It says they were with their faces to the ground because they know they're about to encounter the presence, the king of kings. They knew they were in the, the, the kingdom. Their faces were to the ground. They had lifted holy hands in reverence and honor. They were kneeling. Nowhere in the Bible has worship ever been. That's never mentioned in the Bible. We must understand there is a reverent awe and respect that we must give to the Father as we come into his presence. I know he says enter it boldly, but he also says enter it rightly. Yeah. Yeah. Because boldly means rightly. It means you know you've come, entered his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You know you've been born again by the blood of Jesus at the brazen altar or the cross. You understand your water baptism. I died to my old self. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. I've walked in and I understand the spirit of God with the lampstand and the truth of God with the bread of life. And I'm offering up worship and praise and prayers to my father at the altar, golden altar of incense so I can enter into the most holy place where his fire can come down and consume my offering. So they bowed with him to their faces to the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord and said again, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. The greatest struggle most people have in their Christian walk is you want to go straight from the altar to the fire. You want to go straight from being born again to straight working with the power and it doesn't really work like that because God says, I don't want you to have my power if you don't want my presence. He wants you to want his presence more than you want his power, but when you want his presence, he'll endow you with the power. Yes. He wants you to desire him more than his gifts. Amen. I always say it like this. There's some things that people have said to me in the past, like, well, pastor, why don't we see more of this in church and more of that in church and do more of this stuff in church? And I said, because church is not about us playing with our toys oh, I got a word of this and a this of that and a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and prophecy. And Are you prophesying for their benefit or for your benefit? There's a lot of things that I want to say in every message that I don't say because it would be for my benefit, for me to make me feel better, not because he wanted me to say it. See, a lot of believers would rather play with their toys or their spiritual gifts in church than really have an encounter with God. And my, my, my main focus at TWBC is this, that we are here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And if we got to use the tools of God, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy to do that, we'll do it. But it's not about us playing with toys to show you how spiritually we are. You should know how spiritual we are by when we pray for you, we see the power of God move into your life. You should know how spiritually we are by when Pastor Mitch and the worship team gets up here and begins to worship that the power of God hits immediately, that the altars get flooded with people. You should know the power of God hits and the way he's moving and, and how spiritual we are by those things, not by, well, if he doesn't give me a specific word today. It's not about us playing with toys. And so many churches today want to play with spiritual toys rather, really, rather than really entering into the presence of God. I want to get you into the presence of God so you understand how to use the tools. 
because then he can give you real things to use for his kingdom purposes. So my question for you this morning is, do you want to get past 911 faith? And do you want to truly come into his presence? Or do you really just want to come into the fire and get the power, but not really have his presence? Let me tell you the danger of playing with fire. <laughs> if any firemen are in the house, they'll understand this. There's a danger that comes with playing with fire. Aaron was the first priest in the Old Testament. Both of his sons died because they played with unauthorized fire. Right. Let me read you the scripture. Numbers 26, 61, worship team come. But, 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 Nabot, but, but Nabot and Abihu died when they made an offering before the Lord with unauthorized fire. Numbers 26, 61, the sons of Aaron died when they made an offering before the Lord with unauthorized fire. True confession. I'm so glad I live in the new covenant. Because there should have been times that I would not have walked off this stage. I should have died standing here. Because I've tried to preach with unauthorized fire. I'm sure Pastor Mitch will tell you the same thing in his life. And anybody else who's ever ministered, you've ministered out of the flesh at times Amen. and not out of the spirit. And that is unauthorized fire and I should have died before I walked off this stage. My question for you is this. Will you desire his presence so he can bring the fire? Because many of us deserve to die because we've tried to play with fire that was unauthorized by doing something in the flesh. Your one takeaway for the morning, this morning is this. The only thing I want you to remember is this. Do it on purpose. Yeah. Do it on purpose. Forced faith will get you rescued results. Purposed faith will get you into the presence. So do it on purpose. Purpose in your life this morning that I want to go into his presence. I want to go to places in the kingdom of God that I have not been before. I want to go to places in the presence of my Savior that I have not been before. I want to see what the Bible says I can see. I want to hear what the Bible says I can hear. I want to do what the Bible says I can do. And I'm making a big inference on the Bible being the foundation of it because it is your platform for what he's trying to grow you into and make you become. But if you do not do it on purpose, you're never going to do it at all. And you'll 10 years from now look back as a believer with forced faith, getting rescued results and never entering into the presence of God because you never have purposed in your heart to do something for the name of the Lord. Remember the opening verse of scripture, Solomon said, I purposed in my heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord. Whatever we do at TWBC, it's not about making our name great. It's about making his name reverenced, revered, and lifted up. It's about bringing glory to his name. And the only way we can do that is by purposing in our hearts to say, I'll do something for the name of the Lord. I'll do it. God, begin to speak to me on what you want me to do. 
Mine was different than yours. Mine was 18 years ago. God said, I need you to play, open up a place for people to come and worship. And really, he didn't tell me to plant a church. He said, open up a place for people to come and worship. That turned into a, who we are today. He said, I just want people to have a place to come worship, Pastor. I said, okay, I'll open up a place. I didn't know what he had in store for me. But 18 years later, here we are. Walking in the presence of God. So everybody stand this morning.